3: And I love listening to Vish Khanna's Creative Control because whether he's talking to a favorite
2: musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now.
0: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today.
3: Janet Beveridge, Bean, and Rick Rizzo are musicians who have both long lived in the American city of Chicago, Illinois. Connecting in Louisville, Kentucky, the pair formed a relationship and a band called 11th Dream Day in the early to mid-1980s were signed by Atlantic Records, then began to slow down as Bean tended to another band called Freakwater and bassist Doug McCombs spent more time in his other band, Tortoise. 11th Dream Day never really stopped, though, with Rizzo writing songs at a furious clip enough to make some 14 albums to date for labels like City Slang and Thrill Jockey, among others, and touring whenever possible. Comedy Minus One released their beautiful new album digitally on April 2nd, 2021, with a double gatefold vinyl version released on August 6th. The record is called Since Grazed, and it prompted Janet, Rick, and I to have a chat about closets full of shoes, the state of America in terms of misinformation and critical analysis, basketball injuries, neurology, and the psychology surrounding physical pain, Neil Young and 11th Dream Day, the lyrical themes and sound of Since Grazed, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 626th episode of Creative Control featuring the lovely and talented Janet Beverage Bean and Rick Rizzo of 11th Dream Day with their host me, Vish Khanna.
2: Just like these forgotten fields, you needn't wonder what I will yield. Take care of me, and I'll take care of you.
3: Uh, hello, Eleventh Dream Day. Are you there?
1: We're here. here we I'm- <laughs> nice Hi. to
3: nice to hear from you uh, here in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. Janet, are you there?
4: I am here. I'm actually. I, I'm sitting in a closet in my house so that I make sure that it's quiet enough. So I'm sitting in the closet in my house. Yes, in Chicago.
3: Oh, nice. Uh, how how are things in your closet? What's in your closet? Um, that's a new. Seg- that's uh, uh- a brand new segment on my show. What's in your closet?
4: <laughs> I have about I don't know a hundred pairs of shoes. I, I know that that's it's clear that I've got a problem there, um, <laughs> and a tremendous amount of kaftans. I also have a kaftan problem. Just way too much. Way too
3: much. You got kind of an Amelda Marcos thing happening in your closet, I is do. what you said. Yeah. Uh,
4: I do. Well, I just just with shoes, that's it. It ends there, the likeness.
3: I believe that was that was her main thing, wasn't it, as I recall, from my from the eighties?
4: Yeah, it was. It was. She had a shoe fetish, she
3: did. <laughs> so do you do you do you have a shoe fetish or are they just shoes you should have discarded and have not?
4: I, I wouldn't say I have a fetish, but I I do like a nice shoe, and I and and I have a problem getting rid of shoes. Also, you know, I, I'm looking at a pair of shoes right now, a pair of red boots that I wore every day on uh, the last uh, uh, freakwater uh, tour, and oh. so I sort of, I sort of have like a little bit of memory there. So, they're sentimental in a in a, a stupid way that takes up space. I have the yeah.
3: I have the same thing. I have a weird sentimentality towards shoes. Filthy, disgusting shoes, just <laughs> congregating in my house. I mean, yeah. like like fifteen years ago, Imelda Marcos might have been on that. Remember that show, Hoarders? Remember that show? Yes. That's, yeah. I feel like she could have I think been. A, it's still on. Is it still on? I, I don't keep up with yeah. the with the hoarders, but she probably would have been on that show. You're not in hoarding territory. You're just someone no. who likes and keeps shoes. Okay, that's.
4: No, I'm not in a hoarding territory. Okay,
3: good, good, no. good, good to know. How are things going in Chicago generally for you?
4: For me, they're they're. I I can't complain. Um, things in Chicago are sort of returning to some sort of strange normalcy. You know, wow. our COVID numbers are low here, and and uh, it's uh, it's really nice. I live on a, a park uh, in the city, and it's really great to hear the the little kids playing ball and uh, practice again and and just the sounds of joyfulness, are are, it's really pleasant to have them again. So things are all right.
3: Okay, lovely. That's lovely to hear. Yeah, that's great to hear. Well, uh, we also have on the line here, uh, Rick. Rick, are you there?
2: I'm here and I'm not in my closet. (laughs) I'm in my office, which actually has the spot where I keep my shoes and I I do not throw shoes away. Um, (laughs) So um, I have lots of choices at the present moment. And life is good for me as well. You know, uh, it's a roller coaster, right? And uh, right now I, I feel the car is slowly going up to the peak. Good times ahead. But uh, what goes up must come down. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the cycles of life and all that, all my metaphors that I'm using right now. <laughs> um, things are, things are, are peachy.
3: It has been a, a real roller coaster ride. And to your point, I'm, I'm not sure we're done. Like, I, I, there is a sense when I watch American television, that you're you're all kind of done uh with with this and 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 that's fine i mean we want to move on but do you feel like well you described it as a roller coaster you feel like we've got some twists and turns ahead is that what you were kind of intimating
2: uh you never know you know uh the current state of this country is uh always in flux uh and things are good you know we live uh, chicago is is really in this uh overall liberal bubble for the most part and um you know, people are doing the right things by the vaccinations and, you know, and all that. But then you see there's, you know, like downstate Illinois or other, you know, if you the farther south you go, uh, there's a lot of people that are not getting vaccinated. And who knows what that will mean? You know, um, yeah. right now they say we're all covered, but you never know what the implications are of that large swath of the country refusing to um, understand uh, reality. So, uh
3: you know, I... Uh, That's my rant. Yeah, no, that was a good rant. I appreciated the rant. It was good. It was a good rant. Uh, as we were speaking yesterday, I went and got my first haircut since February of 2020. Wow. Well, it, was, it, was, it was nice. It was that uh, my hair was getting very long. I've been keeping it long for like the last six, seven years. But my hairdresser and I were having a chat. We were both wearing masks. And then halfway through the haircut, she mentioned that... Uh, or I asked about, we were talking about vaccinations and she was completely unvaxed. And I thought, wow. Yep. And I found that, yeah, I had the same, like the, the mood shifted, but I tried to make an inquiry as a, an older person to why young person are you not <laughs> getting vaccinated <laughs> at all? What's, where are you coming from with this? Because as a hairstylist, as a hairdresser, you're interacting with different people all the time. You would think that's like frontline work to me. Ostensibly, yeah. you know, but she was like, "Well, I'm young and I'm healthy. I don't think I need it." So, yeah, that's the mentality I was dealing with. And then it was like we got past it. I it was awkward for a few moments, like a the first round of silence. You know, when that happens when you're getting a haircut, and all of a sudden both people stop talking, even though they've been yattering at each other. <laughs> but what do you do? Like when you Rick, like when you encounter this apathy or indifference or the unvaxxed as you mentioned it do you make a point of trying to engage with people and say well maybe you because that's what my wife said did you i hope you convinced her otherwise i'm like who oh my i can't convince people to do anything have you seen our children but what, what, what would you say to someone who is unvaxxed rick
2: yeah i think on the on the macro level there's not a lot you can do i mean first of all the understanding that you know i'm young and healthy but the understanding that, you know, you're actually doing it for other people when you get yeah. vaccinated. That's the point. But on the micro level, I finally went back to the gym so I can get some cardiovascular workout going. And and uh, this was back in April. I had just gotten my first shot. And uh, they have a sign on the door saying, um, you know, if you're back then, it was everybody had to wear masks. And I walked in back into the gym and there it was. Three quarters of the people in there are not masked. Yeah. And I just went home. I didn't complain. I But then I tried it again, and same thing. And I So I got on the old Twitter <laughs> and, uh, and DM the company and said, you know, this is happening. They're not even asking people to put on masks. I feel like they have a right to work out in complete safety. And so the district manager got back to me from the company and, and heard me yeah. out. And so the next time I went in, I went upstairs and up to the cross trainers and did my thing. And one of the employees came up and checked to see if everybody had their masks on. Ah. And then when I got home, the phone rang immediately and it was the district manager asking, So how'd your visit go? Oh wow. <laughs> and I realized I realized that when my name when I, you know, scanned myself in, a little ping must have gone up and said, you know, it's a like reminder to staff. Oh man. Mask everybody to mask. So uh I joked with my family that I was the uh I, I was the male Karen um <laughs> uh, you know uh, complaining to the district manager. And now uh you know now it's impossible to tell. Um, some people are masked now and I assume that those are the people that didn't get vaccinated and just want to be extra careful on their own end.
3: Yeah. Sometimes I think the 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 Karen meme if you will. It's a conspiracy among the managers to make fun of us and to get us to stop complaining. Because
1: <laughs> who, <laughs> who doesn't, be. who doesn't be. enjoy
3: complaining every once in a while and getting things done? I mean, I've, I've complained. I've complained about old people things like, "Hey, this movie is; these previews for this movie are way too l- loud. Everyone around me is holding their ears. I'm gonna leave and talk to someone. That is that a Karen move, Janet? Am I a Karen?
4: No, and and I feel terrible for the for the actual humans named Karen in the world. Yes. It's just not really fair. I mean, it just just seems wrong right there are, there are times that we should complain, yes, there yeah. are there are times uh, uh when we should just keep our mouths shut,
3: too. I it, don't know. yeah, it's it is it is complicated. Janet, do you have any perspective on what Rick and I were just discussing about? living among a populace that doesn't really feel they need to do the things that other people are doing? Have you, do you have any perspective on that? Have you experienced anything like Rick at the gym or me with my young hairstylist yesterday?
4: Well, you know, I mean, I think what's happening as far as those that are defiant or reluctant or... Um, yeah, I, I I don't think that's anything new. I think it's, yeah. and I don't think it's an. I, I think it is sort of a, a uniquely a unique characteristic of people from uh, the United States that they have the free choice to make these decisions, which is which is absolutely ridiculous. But I was at a funeral, a funeral that had been the person had died in January and and no one could get together because of COVID. So it just happened. And at that service, the majority of the people I, and it was in uh, Southern Indiana, where it's, it's not really the, probably the most vaxxed area in Mm -hmm. the country Mm -hmm. and eight people ended up with COVID. So yesterday, and, and, and I would say, Five, four of those had double vaccines already. They'd had both shots, and yeah. for a while, and they ended up with COVID. And so I had to go get a COVID test yesterday to make sure that I was fine, and I and I am uh, uh, good. Good. It was, it was negative, and you know these people that, that ended up catching it. And have the double vax, you know, other people, there was some sort of Facebook feed and there was like, well, why'd you get the vax if you're going to get it anyway? I was like, well, she's, they're not very sick. That's the thing. They just have a little bit of a sickness and and that's what the vaccine is supposed to do, Mm -hmm. you know? So you know everybody is just always looking for reasons to say you know i told you so or you know the what aboutisms or any of that yeah. stuff and it's and it's incredibly exhausting and i try not to waste my time thinking about it too much because it is just i don't think it's any different than it was when previous uh, pandemics that have raged <laughs> within within the united states you know there was the same anti uh, masking uh, contingents, uh, contingent in um, 1918 or 17. You know, that is the same thing going on. Yeah. And when we had smallpox, it was the same thing, big, big cartoons showing people turning into cows because the vaccine was using live bacteria or live huh. virus or whatever it is from the cow. Right. So, you know, these, these, these behaviors are not new. And we managed to get through those things and come out the other side. So I have yeah. some sort of I wouldn't say hope because uh, because that's a challenge concept sometimes. But there is some evidence that we will we will come out of this and we will be OK for a while.
3: You know, I know this will be difficult for you to have an unbiased or objective opinion about given where you live. But there is this sort of sense that the world leader in fracturing misinformation might be America, <laughs> might be America. Like there's just like we've yeah. seen this during the pandemic. These strains of, I don't know what you want to call them, libertarianism. I don't even know what it is. Just this yeah. sense that, no, no, I'm right. You're. I don't care what the facts are. I just know I'm right, and I'm not going to even engage with a civil in a civil debate with you because I believe what I believe to be correct, and that's enough. I don't need evidence or, or whatnot. I think we've seen this uh, happening around the world. It's certainly prevalent here in Canada as well. But, but at the same time. It does feel, from all the documentaries and articles I read, that it's particularly heightened in America, and it has been, let's say, for the last five, six years. In particular, it feels particularly bad. But that's my perspective, Jana. What do you? I, I, yeah. What do you think?
4: I think you're correct, and I think that you know when when it sort of gets isolated into these sort of red and blue pockets, and uh, it, it, or just socioeconomic groups uh, of people that are more reluctant. I think that's a, a disservice because there is a very large contingency of educated. Yoga clothes wearing uh, people out there that are just as nuts about these conspiracies yeah. as anyone else, and 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 members of my own family that have gone off the deep side into conspiracies. People that are are well educated and and function in the world, and they have, you know, they're they're convinced that there is a cabal of pedophiles, you know, in, yeah, yeah. out of the White House, yeah. you know, like this bonkers sort of stuff, and I can't. I can't figure out if it's just that everything seems so much in chaos and flux that it's easier to um, imagine that we have no control. Like we can't make a difference. Things are so far gone. And so you just have to sort of create these bubbles of thought that distract you from the real shit that's going on in the world. (laughs) So you're just distracted from it. And I think it's, it's, and I've always had a issue with the, the sort of the idea of people that – not that there aren't crazy things that our government does or crazy things that corporate America do that would shock anyone. But the conspiracy theories that are just so way off the charts take the focus away from what is actually going on that's wrong and just steers it someplace else. And the energy is totally wasted on something that's not real. Yeah. So we're never fixing the problem.
3: Uh, I've never seen – this level of, like, weaponizing hypocrisy, I guess, or weaponizing, Mm -hmm. like, it's projection. A lot of what we discover is when someone uh, these days is peddling a a conspiracy theory or accusing someone of something, they Mm -hmm. are found to be engaging in those same acts, the the same acts they're accusing other people of. So it's very complicated. It's very weird. Uh, Rick, -hmm. uh, Rick, do you have any perspective on what we've just been discussing? Uh, I'm just curious. Well, you know, I'm a...
2: I'm, I'm a teacher, and, uh, you know, the number one thing that I always wanted to get across with my middle school students, and now I teach college, but uh, it's critical thinking. And critical thinking itself has come under attack yeah. this year yeah, um, because it sounds too much like criticize, you know, which is, you know, obviously not the same thing. No. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I wish, I wish, I hope, I you know i can only i could only do what i do but i, I don't I, the climate is not not so hot for critical thinking and and even just understanding where other you know empathy uh understanding somebody else's point of view really playing it out you know and it's there's a million different reasons why it, it's happened it's it's sad i don't know what's going to turn it around yeah but uh it's not looking good right now
3: no for critical thinking no it's not but we take refuge in uh in things like art and surprise records, you know, records that come out by surprise, which is what the... This sounds like a transition. I'm doing one of my segues. It's a classic <laughs> creative control segue. Uh, no, I, 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 but I do. I do think it's... That has been a heartening part of this uh, pandemic for me is that people are releasing uh, lots of books and albums and they've been written in either just ahead of uh, the pandemic or in some cases we're dealing with a lot of archive material like people or people have just been sitting on things they've made I want to get into the story of this beautiful new album by 11th dream day which is called since grazed uh, congratulations first of all to both of you on uh, releasing this uh, lovely record into the world I know it's been out digitally uh, for some time as we're speaking I think what did it come out in April or something like that is that right Rick it did it came out in April right yeah right but the vinyl, is uh, as we're speaking should be out uh, shortly. Uh, I don't know if that's very soon. Very soon, yeah. So let's first week of August. First week of August to be specific. Thank you, Rick is on it. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. No, it's great. Uh, so let's let's get into that a little bit and let's start with Rick. Rick, you know, as I say, this has been contextualized as a surprise release on some level. What does that mean? Exactly. Because it, it hasn't been, when was the last time 11th Dream Day put out a record? It's been in the last six or seven years, right?
2: Yeah. Works for Tomorrow came out, I believe, in 2015. Yeah. It never seems like that long. But, um, you know, anytime a record comes out, I mean, I think there's always that first announcement yeah. Um, yeah. that it's coming out. In this case, it was just, here it is. It's out today, available digitally and to stream. And so... I don't know if it was like as uh, big of a surprise as a gender reveal party or, a, you know, or, a, you know, popping out of the closet to say happy birthday to somebody. Um, but it, you know, it was something that the label, um, uh, Comedy Minus One wanted to do. He had put out another record that way and suggested it. And our, our whole thing was we, we did want to uh, make it available back in April. Uh, we knew that the vinyl was going to lag. Because uh, there is a really high demand right now for pressing pa- plants, and, Trem- and tremendous
3: back, it, tremendous backlog. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And the bands had all that pent up uh, energy that recording during COVID and, and mm. wanted to release things. So we knew that there was going to be a delay, and it just uh, this record took. I started writing right after the last record, and my goal was let's put out another one next year. Oh, um, and the way 11 Dream Day works these days is. Uh, i mean that was a, a total pipe dream because it's very it's difficult for us to meet to rehearse to do anything most of us have a family to deal with um young kids uh, in some regards and um and also doug plays in the great band tortoise mm-hmm. which is um a much uh busier band i'd say and uh so it's hard it's hard for us to get our, our schedules on at the same time
3: is everybody currently in chicago yeah, everybody's in Chicago. Okay, well um, that's a plus. I mean, I mean the way but, uh, the way members of Tortoise are departing Chicago, you never know. They seem. Oh, is everybody and
2: everybody in Tortoise
1: is not in
3: Chicago. No, no, no. Sorry, I meant is everybody in eleven three? Oh, sorry. This was a terrible way. Yeah. Of, this is also a classic creative control move. I confuse people. No, I uh, no, I just meant <laughs> that uh, in relation to Tortoise. Tortoise, I know. I've discovered uh, by talking to members of the band. Everyone's kind of moved away from. Most people seem to have moved away from Chicago. Doug is still there. I think Dan is still there. Uh, but I'm Dan not, is yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah. So three of them are left and uh, have left the area. So that makes it complicated. All I was asking was, is everyone from Eleventh Dream Day in Chicago uh, currently? And you, I think you were saying they are. So that's and we and we are. Yeah. That's good. So that does not add to the uh, rarity of gathering. I suppose is where I'm coming from. So. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, Janet, uh, w- what is your perspective on uh, this surprise release thing? I've noticed this a lot more. I don't know if Beyonce came up with it or somebody. I, I I'll, by the way, if anyone's the uh, underground rock Beyonce, it's eleven three day. I think we can agree on, on <laughs> we can agree upon that. But this, I don't know what you if your take. I, I've been saying this to people a lot lately. Instead of like promoting something for a month, just provide everyone with the information right away, the link, the whatever. Because I feel like we... I don't know if you have this perspective, Janet, but it seems to me that we consume things with very short attention spans, even with the best of intentions. Uh, I've been caught where someone's like, hey, tomorrow I'm releasing a thing. And they don't have any links, there's nothing prepared. And you're like, oh, I really want to get that thing. And then tomorrow comes and you forget because it's no Mm -hmm. longer in your vision, peripherally or otherwise. Do you have a take on that this notion of just like here's the record no hype no like weeks and weeks of build up here you go what do you make of that Janet
4: Well we were really adamant about wanting to put it out early and and that meant digitally as as Rick said so the surprise thing None of it really matters. I mean, I think <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna sell the same amount of records no matter what we do. I think we we looked at some numbers between like the uh, our last record and the record before that, and I think you know it, it was literally within a hundred, you know, of the same sales as the previous year. So I think that, you know, the the people that we, that our, our audience, you know, they're going to find it. And I, and I Mm -hmm. don't think any sort of like surprise midnight drop of, of, of the record is going to do anything. It's just, uh, it's, it's fine that way. I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me. I think just, I think you're right about this sort of, not thinking, oh, you've got a, a month to to get all the press together and get the push out because for us it's, you know, a lot of that is built around the traditional arc of you put the record out, you go tour for right after that, you know, and then it's it, it, you need that push. Yeah. But we're not so much a touring band like that at all, so it really doesn't matter. And I think the slow growth of it is fine. I, my feeling, and why I'm really happy that we have the the vinyl as well, is that I just want the artifact to exist in the world. Yeah. I just want it so maybe one day somebody if thrift if stores still exist in uh, 50 years from now or 25 years from now that somebody's just scrolling through and they say, huh, what's this? This looks interesting and they take it home and they put it on and they and they're like, wow, this is crazy. I, and then it's something and they share it with their friends and it's just this artifact, you know, that's that's how I see the arc of the story for us, and it doesn't matter whether that's done by a surprise 25 years earlier or with a major machinery behind it of a major label or whatever. It, that's the end goal for me, yeah. really. Yeah,
3: no, that's fair, totally fair. Um, but before we get into the sound and tone of the record, uh, Rick, I just want to follow up on this line of discussion in terms of the strategy behind releasing it this way. Uh, And, and, you know, Janet was just saying she looked at the metrics and uh, (laughs) it was pretty much the same as it ever was. Your audience found it uh, and are finding it. But what did you make of this strategy in this case of just like, here you go? Uh, uh, Rick, what what did you make of it? Uh, Did it seem exciting to just be like, here, everyone, here's the record? It was exciting for me. I
2: mean, I, I guess what I was saying earlier was that it, It had taken four or five years to get here. And the way I work creatively is I compartmentalize things. And I cannot start writing new songs or doing anything creatively until the thing that I've been working on has been officially put to rest. Hmm. And, you know, that's that's my issue. And so I just didn't want to wait until the fall to put it out just so... that I could move along in my mind and, um, start working on something else.
3: Oh, oh, Um, I see. So psychologically it was good to get it out of your hair. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting in itself. Now you say you, you started working on these songs almost right after the the last one was out. I guess that illuminates what you're saying about your process. (laughs) The record, the last record came out and you're like, okay, it's, I'm done with it. I can move on. What was going on at the time, I don't know, culturally, personally for you, uh in terms of maybe an influence on this batch of songs? Can you take us back 5 6 years ago to sure. maybe where where these songs were coming from?
2: Yeah, well, it it wasn't the best 5 years. Um it's mm-hmm. it, it's, it's been a pretty difficult time. You know just being a father taking responsibility for my family first and and um, getting my kids through grade school they're in um, they're going into sophomore year of high school Chant and i have a son who's 29 he had a rough time the last few years mm-hmm. but uh my father passed away i had this insane back issue that uh, started with an accident playing basketball where this young guy just ran me over it was like a mack truck hitting a he soul, um, and I, I got I got slammed into the wall, and uh, laid there for a long time wondering if I was going to get up, and I did, and I finished playing basketball. But then two weeks later, I just had these, I just this journey of a pain for the next couple of years. Where, yeah,
3: that's the way backs um, backs yeah. backs are annoying that way because you want. I would I had, if, if, yeah. if, I, if I could talk to my back for just a second. If you're hurt, tell me right away. <laughs> Why the delay? Um, yeah, it always happens. You're like two weeks later. What the hell? Oh yeah, that guy hit me. That was really morbid product placement, by the way, as well. The Mack truck with the Kia Soul—that was—that was was dark. But I, are you you feeling better now? I I have some back and neck, back and neck issues myself, so I empathize. Well, I'm
2: gonna give. I'll be. I'll be brief about it. But I I suffered for a long time and got cortisone shots and Hmm. chiropractic, acupuncture. Everybody that saw my X-rays gasped at uh, what they saw with, um, uh, I had two uh, herniated discs. But that said, a friend of ours, this guy Michael Galinsky, saw me moaning on Facebook, and he said, (laughs) I'm sending you a trailer to my film, and it's called All the Rage, which was about his back problems and his journey um, trying to figure it out. um, Through uh, uh, He interviewed and followed a doctor, John Sarno, S-A-R-N-O.
3: Yes, John Sarno uh, passed away. Yeah, he's passed away, and his thing is that it's it's not quite psychosomatic, but it's psychological. But,
2: yeah, yeah, right. But there's a mind-body connection. That's and right. I watched the film. I read Sarno two of Sarno. I read one of his books, The Mind-Body Connection, and then I listened to the other one on tape that weekend. Mm. By the end of the weekend, I was on the road to recovery, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's. uh it was for real for me. Uh, I journaled, not to say that I don't still have some pain and some issues. I can't play full court basketball. I don't play like full on tennis, but I do. I can shoot around. I can play pickleball. I could play, you know, I can do uh, a workout, bicycle, you know, I, I don't wake up feeling pain. So I totally recommend, um, looking into it for anybody that has chronic pain anywhere. Back or shoulder, wherever carpal tunnel.
3: Well, and um, I, I, it's worth looking into. Absolutely. And as someone who owns that book and has read it, do you, you find know. do you find Rick that when you are feeling sore, if you read it, you feel a bit better?
2: Yeah, I it, do. And it's, it's, also, <laughs> also, if I talk to somebody else about it,
3: yes, and describe it
2: to somebody else. And I have helped some friends in that regard. It, it, it is the, the gift that keeps on giving.
3: Um, I, have you read The uh, Brain That Changes Itself? I think it's called, I think that's what it's called. No. There's, there's, is that Terno or somebody else? No, it's somebody else. There's I've been reading a lot of brain books uh, over the last few years because uh, I'm so smart. No, I just want to know more about our brains and our minds. It is astounding what you read about the power of... Of your brain, and mind. like you don't even realize how much control is going on up there about everything else below. And so, yeah, I have yeah. that. I, when I'm really feeling bad and sore, because like I, I will tell you before the pandemic, sorry, Janet, is this boring? Are it just two old guys with their backs and their necks? Is this bad? Let me tell you. i don't want to bore janet but let me quit
4: it's just it's so fascinating really (laughs) go on (laughs) Uh,
3: are you being sarcastic is that chicago sarcasm i'm picking up
2: Mm, i thought it i think it was
3: i think it was i will be brief but i will (laughs) no i do you have anything janet are you okay i know you're in the closet (laughs) you must be all hunched over buried in shoes Uh,
4: I'm, I'm, i'm doing fine thanks
3: okay No, I, uh, yeah, I just been reading a lot about the brain and it's fascinating is all I was getting at there. I don't need to go on about it, but I, but it is, it is incredible. Like uh, I, before the pandemic, I would go to see a massage therapist, acupuncturist, chiropractor. I've been to osteopaths since the pandemic. Haven't gone to anyone. And I, I mean, when I say I would Mm. go, I don't know. I can take a look at my credit card bills, but I would say five trips a month to various specialists, like various ones, you know, since the pandemic, Mm. not one. And then that has made me think and and I stretch when I when things stiffen up or I'm sore. I do lots more exercises because I'm not commuting to work. I have the time to be like, you know what? I'm a little sore. I'm going to go stretch out comfortably on the floor of my house as opposed to like the floor of an office, which is if you do that, they'll fire you. You can't do that. You can't just start stretching in the middle of lunch or whatever. So all I'm saying is it is really psychological. And Sarno was one of the pioneers uh, of this, I think. Is that right, Rick? He was really one of the f- yeah, foremost... He was, he yeah, he was
2: really the pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you yeah. know, works for me. I think
4: Rick and I uh, have a very intimate understanding of... of not. It's not that it's psychosomatic or placebo, but our 29-year-old son has a condition called GLUT1 transporter deficiency syndrome, which is sort of a very complicated thing, and it's it's neurological, and so I, I have also done a lot of reading on brain workings. Yeah, uh, yeah, But our son, he doesn't get enough glucose to his brain because the uh, transporter, the protein that, that transports it between the cells doesn't operate properly. So he doesn't get glucose to his brain. And so that causes seizures and different types of delays and dystonia, all sorts of different things. Huh. And the ketogenic diet is right now the only main treatment for it. But Matt has had some undergone some studies. That um, were short term, but had some miraculous results. But the thing that about the psychosomatic is, is Matthew, our son, when he gets into a, a situation that's maybe a little anxiety-producing for him, yeah. it sets off this whole chain reaction internally for him that expresses itself in ways that he's not faking it. It's not. It's just he's actually having a, a, a you know a, a grinding problem. Of he can't speak. He his muscles get stiff, and just just the outside sensory information, uh, his brain has to decide what it feels is most important at that moment. And that it shifts energy into one area so that other areas then are depleted and it causes these challenges. And so I just, mm. you know, the brain is just Bonkers, you know, we understand obviously we all know we understand so little about it. If I had the opportunity to do everything over again, I may, you know, that's I think I would have gone into neurology, you know, to be a neurologist or something. Absolutely. It's
3: super fascinating and you're right to quasi call me out on employing the term psychosomatic because I think that's become a loaded and dismissive and derisive term. But there, all I was trying to get at there, and I think you uh, did a better job of articulating it. Our brains are just incredibly powerful. So when I read the brain that changes itself, that came to mind as well. Like our brains, really, you can really, if you home in on it, your issues, your brain can shift your th- those things for you, like the difficult parts, mm-hmm. and. I don't want to say I'm sorry to hear about your your struggles with your son uh, because it also sounds like you've identified what's going on and there's been some progress is that fair Janet?
4: Well he was the uh he was the eighth person in the world diagnosed with it at the time in 1993 I believe and and now the foundation of families uh, that are active in spreading this uh, information on it. There's been so much work. And oh. now it's really been identified all over the world. And it's still classified as a rare disease, but they're identifying it more and more. Uh, and And sometimes things that are just classified as cerebral palsy, uh, will be found out to be uh, glut one because it's you. Hmm. It's it's done through a spinal tap. You can test it that way or some sort of genetic testing. But hmm. yeah, you know, Matt does. Matt lives on his own. He needs some oversight, but he is not defined by uh, his challenges. Have certainly informed him in some of the ways that he sees the world and operates. But it does not define him, and he's a really quite remarkable human being.
3: So, well, uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, I said congratulations, like you won something, but <laughs> I meant to say, you know, that's wonderful. That's great. Um,
4: yeah, he's, he's done well for himself. He's done really well. He's a poet as well, a very, a very um, beautiful poet.
3: Oh, well, maybe that's genetics uh, in itself, frankly. That's, yeah, yeah no, that's great. Uh, given what we were, uh, the way Rick was sort of contextualizing these past five years and uh, how difficult they've been um, And by the way, Rick, I'm sorry for your losses There uh, That oh, you yeah. mentioned um, That's life. Yeah, it is part of life I want to go back to Janet for just a moment Janet, do you have a perspective on Before we get in, Rick sort of illuminated What was going on Do you have a perspective on how much of what was going on So to speak Is reflected on Within the lyrics of this new record Do you, do you have a sense of where he's coming from uh, For the most part
4: well, um as much as sort of i, I I'm now maybe a little more than your average listener <laughs> um, uh, but um Rick and I have a very long history together. The band has a very long history together and and I think some of the record speaks to that in a really very reassuring and sort of a beautiful way and and I don't think the record seem while um the songs were written for well rick wrote the songs during a time a hard period there seems to be a, a to me in the record a lot of coming to terms with with things and finding the 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 beauty in those terms <laughs> um yeah. you know i when we were working on things early on rick brought uh, songs over and and played them for me and was listening to take care, uh, and it's and the refrain is like take care of me, and I'll and, and I'll take care of you, and it reminded me of sort of like a a, a song that's on a previous record on Stalled Parade, uh, which it, I think the refrain is save yourself, and you might save me. Mm. So it sort of seemed like there was this, this arc of, of, of life that, you know, you came, it, which is a place of much more like uh, direct, immediate, like self-action, you know, you know sort of self-actualization and, and taking ownership for things and just sort of, I don't partly growing up, I think, yeah. you know, just like yeah. coming through things and that, and the record has that to me. It's just like this, it's a record. Uh, I don't want to say it's a record that old people would make, but I think it is a, a record that uh, people that have had, a long history together a, a band that's had a long history together and and had life experiences and it seems that it's that type of record for me you know um and in a, a very beautiful and yeah just a very, in a very beautiful way to me yeah
3: I, I i find it fascinating that you invoke the notion that this might be a record that old people make uh because i think the subtext is <laughs> the subtext to me and i don't know rick if you would agree or not this feels like a very reflective record, not necessarily a a stock taking of one's life, but it does feel reflective. And uh, it it seems to be coming from the perspective to maybe paraphrase what Janet was just saying. It comes from a perspective of someone who's lived a life and has had many different experiences and good and bad. Rick, does it feel particularly reflective to you in terms of the the lyrics here?
2: Yeah. And I take a lot of time to reflect. I, during the making of the record or of songwriting, I was finding myself on these really long drives, like being in the car six, seven hours at a time, often. Hmm. And there's nothing like a, a driving on a highway to open up the creative side of your brain, while you're, you're the other side is handling the mechanical issue of driving. Yeah. it's the same thing also with hiking. We've got a um, house in the Indiana Dunes um, that we get away to, and there's so many amazing hikes around there. And I'll, I'll just go for long walks in the woods, and, and it's the same thing. I wrote one of the songs on the record. I sang it into my, my iPhone just because uh, the whole song just came to my head just walking through this forest, and it has nothing to do with the forest. It was just like it struck me by how a certain color of blue that the sky was and then you, you, your mind is free to make all these connections and it's just opening up your mind to to connections but in, 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 there is like you know the ex- experiential thing of having gone through a lot of things in life and, and losing a lot of friends in the last couple of years Yeah, um, was also an element I mean it's funny we had 1991 I was much younger um, we had a record called Live to Tell and I think Jan and I both wrote back then more observationally about other people, like what we would see. Yeah, like for me, it was like watching other people's relationships and other how other people were dealing with things and noticing things on the street and news and, and this and that. And so, yeah, it has. This one did come back more in my head and more, in you know, um, my experiences reflectively like that. You know, so I think you're right.
3: Yeah, less of a a narrative observational thing and more of a subjective experiential thing, I guess. Uh, is what yeah, yeah. At some
2: point. Um, yeah. At some point in my life, the songwriting kind of switched over away from the observational to the reflective. Uh,
3: I think that happens to a lot of writers who are writing to express themselves when they're not really sure of themselves, uh, frankly. Uh, and it's safer to, you know, take on characters or write about other people, and then at some point you get through time. As you get older, as Janet said, we're really old people. No, as you mm-hmm. get older, yeah, you you do get more comfortable in your skin. It's my thing is like whenever I've seen a a band reunite after, you know, they spent their twenties uh, in up in each other's faces all the time, and there that there's a lot of tension there, a lot of ego. And then when they reunite in their 40s or 50s, you can see that they're relaxed with each other, which makes them play better. It's like uh, you mentioned Mm -hmm. basketball. So I play basketball every other day with my son. And uh, he and I are both marveling at the fact that I can hit shots from anywhere. And uh, and he's getting much better too, by the way. I'm not just bragging right now. I am honestly (laughs) mystified because he gets mad when he loses and I will intentionally just huck up, you know, half court threes thinking well this will just give him a shot at uh, getting the you know getting the t- winning basically if we're at 9-9 nine, nine and we're going to 10 and I'll hit him and he's mad and I'm frustrated like why am i hitting these stupid shots at 43 that doesn't make any sense i didn't even make the high school team but i'm more relaxed now <laughs> i'm more relaxed in my skin and i can concentrate on i think it makes you a better player a musician athlete I think there's a case to be made for that you're less about asserting your agency and just being and uh sorry I'm I went on a I went on a rant Rick what do you make of that
2: well, no, I totally recognize myself in that, that <laughs> anecdote. Um, I mean, my my daughter plays basketball too, but she would see me play my son in the driveway. It, it, was, it was really hard to try to even the playing field. Yeah. You know, like when I was taller and before yes. my back was a mess. And, and she would say, Dad, don't make the next shot. And then I would do like some crazy thing and then like I'd sink it because like I can't it would be more obvious for me to clunk one off the backboard. Like, it, 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 like my, then my son would be like, you're not even trying. Yeah. You jerk. You know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, uh... He's done that too. And I can't, I don't know. Do you know, like, uh, do you know, 21, the game 21 where it's basically yeah, just yeah, shooting. Yeah. I know there's, we in Canada had a right. thing called American 21, which was more active, but regular 21 that I grew up with is kind of stationary. You're shooting, you're each shooting. And then you go to the foul line or the free throw line when you hit a basket from anywhere else. I'm just explaining 21 to people oh, who don't okay. know. Oh, yeah, okay. I yeah. like that. Yeah, so that's how you do it. It's all pretty stationary, but you're just working on your shots and you're working on your rebounding. But uh, I can't fake that. So one-on-one, he can win. I will let him. I hope he can't hear me right now. This will crush him. Although I think he knows. <laughs> but I 21, I can't do it. I just get going and I can't fake it. And he's like, pop, like I know I'm not again. There's no part of me that at 43 is bragging about defeating a nine-year-old. But the other day, three twenty-one games in a row, yeah, I, twenty-one to two. I, I once I get going, I can't. I just kept beating him. Twenty, he got three, won the last game, and I, I that's just skill. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, I can't fake because it's not rewarding for me either. To and you, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't exactly. fake it. Yeah.
2: my dad, my dad. Um, whatever sport it was, uh, go- he was playing golf into, you know, he was 88 when he died. He was still playing golf. He was going to play the next year and he would beat me at golf. Cause I don't play that much and I don't really care about golf, Yeah, but, uh, he would beat me, but like any other game, ping pong, basketball, he would, he would play as hard as he could. He, he was the like master of gamesmanship. He would cough right when I was shooting my free throw <laughs> or whatever, you know? And, uh, but it was fun. You know, we, it, it's like, I don't feel that same competition with my son. Like I don't feel a need to win. No, me Um, neither. But I appreciated that my dad cared enough to compete with me like that. And he taught me how to box when I was young. Oh, and that ended when I knocked him one in the face, uh, came, you know, out of nowhere. And then we (laughs) didn't box anymore. Um, at some point your son is just going to start beating your butt. I know. Great. That's uh, yeah. That's what,
3: that's what people have said, but I, the rite of passage. Yeah. I will say, the thing I don't like is the uh, unwarranted taunting. You know, after I've let him win, he's just is like, "Ah, <laughs> I'm like oh my god, I have to crush you next time," but I can't do it because he's—you he got to build his confidence up. Anyway, now that seems like
2: more of an American uh, version. The taunting, I are mean, you Canadians? You know, well, he, the stereotype is just your politeness. So,
3: well, he is—he is very American. I uh, somehow he's immersed in American culture, mm-hmm. and he taunts. He taunts me, and he brags, and I. Just want to knock him down a peg. That's the only... Anyway, this is ridiculous. Now we're getting into my family life, and everything's fine. Everything's just great. Well, uh,
2: trash talking is an art.
3: No, and I, I'm i happy to do it every once in a while. He likes doing it, and when I give it back, he gets, all, he gets like the rage in his eyes, but then I... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'm just trying to give him... Uh, we're... You know, we moved to a whole other province during a pandemic, so we're he's just oh. now making friends he's just we're just now going out into the world i'm trying not to crush his spirit so anyway it is what it is uh janet i just want to ask uh, a question about the sound of this album and i mean i think one of the hallmarks of 11th dream day to me anyway is that the sound is often shifting this feels uh i don't know this record feels particularly is subdued a derisive term i don't mean it to be but it does feel a little less frenetic uh compared to maybe some other records you you've made together jana what's your take on that and and within that what's your take on this the sound of this one where why it seems first of all let me say this let me actually ask you a question instead of <laughs> babbling does it feel okay. does it feel more subdued uh in, in some regards
4: I, I think in relationship to the last couple records we've made but yeah. I don't I think it it's not that sonically out of uh reach of something like Ursa Major I think an sure. earlier record I think it, it it sort of lends itself to that and and sonically since the record sort of started in a weird way where Rick had all these songs and he brought them over to my house and uh listened and, and i was having a hard time sort of having them click in my head uh, as to dream day songs and i think he was frustrated a little bit because we could never all get together as a band and, and rehearse or do these things and so and he wanted to play some shows and it was yeah. uh, that was complicated and so i said why don't you make a solo record and and he asked if I, if I would maybe sit on board and offer any suggestions about things that I could. And so we worked together like that. And so the record, and the, so the record remained a sort of acoustic uh, record, and a lot, and the demos were all acoustic, and mm-hmm. and and that's how it was. That's how the base of the song, the the, the song structure, and the whole record is is just uh, these very percussive acoustic guitar tracks that Rick did. And so it didn't have that you know same crazy electric sonic frenzy that we we have had in the last couple of records. And then we built it up from there, but it also, in part because of the pandemic, it wasn't like we could be a full band in the studio mm. and go at it. Like we, we do when we are all in the studio simultaneously playing the song, we all came in separately because of the pandemic and having to do um, things with a mask on and, yeah. and distance. And so I think that sort of allowed the, the time and and the, the space and the time sort of allowed these things to have a a much tempered uh, sort of quality to them, you know, um, than the last record. And then we have so many, we were able to utilize Jim more fully this time and and Mark who have remarkable uh, skills uh, on many, many instruments. So adding all sorts of key parts and synth parts and that we hadn't really done in the past you know so we just yeah. Jim took tracks home and just worked on them and added stuff so it sort of it happened organically I don't think it was necessarily intentional but it became obvious that the tone of the record would be what it is I think pretty early on
3: well I mean the lyrics are seem to me anyway rather heavy and thoughtful and and introspective on the one hand and, and the singing is uh, also like it's it's heavy, like it's it's impassioned but measured at the same time. I don't know, like it reminds me, I think you guys get tagged with some Neil Young stuff and like to me this is like a Tonight's the Night kind of record where it's heavy and mysterious but it's not kicking you in the face the way I don't know, songs on Zuma might or something like that. I don't know. Sorry, I made a weird Neil Young no. Neil Young parallel there, but Rick, what do you what do you think? What what is your take on the on the sound of this record? The 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 I mean musically?
2: Well, that's a pretty decent analogy. I mean, a complimentary too, because yeah. tonight's the night. On any given day, is my favorite Neil Young record, or Zuma, yeah. or this one reminds me a little more of On the Beach. Yeah, parts, it's but, funny as you um, were
3: saying. I was like, or on the beach, like I was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Whereas we're, you know, our, our kind of our standard. I mean, if if you ask people what Love Jimi sounds like, they'd probably go to the, more to the any crazy horse kind of yeah, sound yeah which is you know like really putting it in a specific place our band and we obviously have more than neil young uh as our <laughs> influences yeah. but um yeah that said you know uh, way janet told this um i you know i i was committed to doing a solo record and i went into the studio with mark greenberg pre-pandemic into the loft where He works uh, where Wilco records and runs their chip out of. Yep. And so it was just, I I wanted to track everything. And so I had 12 songs that I had down on a piece of paper that I was going to try to do. And I did them all that night with the acoustic guitar and my vocal. And as I was playing them, I asked, I had asked Jan to come along and listen and give feedback to me. And a a few songs into it, Janet and Mark were both saying, you know what? We can make an 11th dream, dream Day record out of this. And um, hmm. so the real difference is that it did start with those the, the acoustic and the, the vocal track. That said, all the demos that I had been working on, one of the things I was talking about in those four years or whatever leading up, yeah. one of the things that happened was I got laid off from a job. Oh. Um, I was teaching at Columbia College in Chicago in the music department. And the enrollment had dried up to where I lost the class, and it was for the first time in my life. I it was it was January, and I didn't have a job foreseeable until uh, I don't know. It was like I wouldn't have a job until maybe the next fall.
1: That's very and very frightening. I was
2: really, yeah. I was first of all, I was upset because I thought I kind of got screwed out of the class. I thought that uh, they were making a move uh, to get rid of me, but th- mm. that wasn't the case but I did not have a job so what I did was I started writing and i I, I was doing a song a day and um, I have a little digital recorder and and uh, I get the kids would go to school and I would write lyrics and music and have it on an mp3 by lunchtime. Wow. I was just really uh, focused and it was and and there were all these you know things that were making their way into the lyrics and, and just emotions and, and feelings about what was going on and with myself and the world. And you know, as time stretched out, the next couple of years, like realizing I'm not doing anything with these songs. I have these demos. Maybe I'll put the demos out, mm. but they didn't have drums. But they did have. I did have a lot of feedback. I did have a lot of electric guitar. It wasn't just just acoustic. Okay. They, they were they were pretty fully realized demos. They just didn't have drums. And you know. Our, our band is, you know, we started off with Janet on drums and me on guitar in my parents' basement practicing. Yeah. And, you know, that's the sound that we go back to. And then Doug, you know, has been in the band since 1985, and his bass sound is a signature. And, and, and so, in the long run, you know, when Janet and Mark said, these are, we could, these, these can be 11th Dream Bass songs, they are different, but we could make something out of this. And and so, uh, you know, I'm overjoyed that it happened because we do have a chemistry together. And then, you know, that was pre-COVID when I record, tracked all 12 of those songs. And then Doug and, and Jim and, and, and Mark started doing their thing and Janet played drums. And, you know, we started bringing things in after that. But we usually work the opposite way where we would shed everything we rehearse and we, we get the songs last couple of records before this, we did residencies at a local club called the hideout where we would get the songs ready to go in the studio, play them live. We, for a long time, we were obsessed with capturing our live sound and this is the total opposite. And I think it's, you know, it really made for a different sound and really a record that, you know, kind of shocked me at, how much it's resonated. Um, I, I I have not. T- you know, usually I'll like I you know I said I put records to bed and move on to the next thing, and I don't listen to them. I haven't stopped listening to this one. Nice. Uh, at some point, I will. But to me, it's fresh. It's it, it is very different.
3: So it sounds like this might be uh, I don't know the harbinger of things to come, so to speak. Like uh, in terms of just your methodology, you might. The pandemic, I think, forced your hand to, to work a certain way. But it, <laughs> well,
2: when you say harbinger of things to come, you know, one of the things you know, we were trying to decide. We had a bunch of uh, way too many songs for a single record, and Jan said, "Well, you know, this might be the last record at the rate we go. You know, if it is every five years, right? You know, I just turned sixty-four. I'm a lot older than everybody else in the band, but I just turned sixty-four, and although I'm in great health, you know, it, at some point." I was like, oh, you know, maybe. It yeah. could be the last one and and so yeah, let's make a double record out <laughs> of it and because because it wasn't a thing like I don't I don't think anybody if it, if one person writes a review saying this would have made a great single record. If anyone says that, I will come to their house and uh um I don't know what I'll do. I'll, Challenge, cha- challenge them,
3: challenge know. them to one on one, and a game of American Twenty One. American Twenty One. What we'll do? Yeah, just box them out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, come across uh, long. You know what I mean? Like it's a haunting. Like I, I'm, I'm taken back to your comment about driving for six or seven hours uh, at a time when you were listening to this record, or rather when you were writing uh, some of these songs, or, or when the ideas came to you. And it feels like that kind of record uh, for us now to drive, to have it on as you're driving at dusk or something like that. Look at me, I'm a film director all of a sudden. I'm I'm shoot I'm framing this record. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, no, but it does have that I quality. See this. It has that quality. It has that quality of you know movement and and uh, yeah. Just it has a meditative almost quality in some ways, and it, I think
4: there's also a cinematic quality to it as well as just you know you have these visuals of things you see uh, at yeah. least in our part of the world when you're driving down the highway. So there is a cinematic quality to it. It's sort of a there's a, it's a it's a, a, a wide vista, I think. Absolutely. On, on this
3: yeah. No, I, I was I was making jokes about it, but it is it does have that. It has a vividness to it, if 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 you mm-hmm. will. So. Yeah. I mean, what can I say? Congratulations on this. Uh, I hope it's not the last record. Uh, I I gather from what you were saying, Rick, though, that you haven't, unlike previous records where you put it away and start moving on, it sounds like you haven't quite done that. You haven't jettisoned this record from your your mind, so to speak. I
2: I haven't yet, and I can't start writing new words yet. I do have about 30... songs on my phone though. <laughs> no. Oh nice just waiting as as idea threads. So okay. I, I can't stop. You know, our our generation of indie rock musicians that kind of cut our teeth in the eighties. I think we're all aging pretty nicely. Dinosaur Junior yeah. has a record out, you know, it's like nobody's uh, everybody's making great you know, tango our friends that keep making great records. Wilco keeps making you know everybody's making great art and there is no reason to ever stop. For me, I have to. Uh, it is a way to experience the world and yeah. and to and to make sure that I'm plugged in. I can't not do it.
3: Yeah, Janet, would you agree with Rick and I that old is the new young? <laughs>
4: <laughs> old, old is not the new young, nor is young the new old. They are just different <laughs> places to in your life to be and and having having narratives from both sides to, to listen to, I I think is, is where we want to be. You know, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think you know like, no, I don't. I, I, I I'm happy <laughs> that we're still making, I'm happy that we're still making music. I've reached a point, I think almost artistically where I can just write a story in my head and I'm happy with that. Like, you know, I don't know if I, yeah. if I will continue to need to, produce it out in the world. But I think at this point in my life, you know, I, I don't feel that need to have any sort of sense of identity. I'm, I'm pretty identified, yeah, <laughs> I
1: think, yeah. you know,
4: personally, you know. Yeah. So if if something comes and we make another record and I'm in the headspace to do that, that's great. If, if I don't, I will still be creative in some fashion, whether it's just sitting, looking at my window, imagining a story or publishing a story or making music or whatever but I think once you are a creative person uh, Hal Gelb told me this once that if he this was back when when I was in my early 30s he said well if you're still playing music by the time you're 40 you're a lifer you're never gonna stop right (laughs) and and I think it's kind of true you know you hit your 40s and oh that's who you are you know you've accepted it it's too late to go back and uh become a neurologist (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> At that point,
1: probably.
4: So you're just a musician. And, and I think that I, you know, that's what I am, whether I put out records or not put out records. I am a musician and and I'll play for myself or for others. I, I don't know how that will play out.
3: Well, it's really heartening to hear, actually. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, Rick was just talking a little bit uh, there, Janet, about how he's got some song ideas on his on his phone, I think he said. Uh, or his digital recorder, and uh, but he hasn't uh, pursued lyric writing. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of your own updates, uh, whether it's Freakwater or anything else, like, do you have anything coming up that you want to talk about before we wrap up here?
4: Well, you know, the, the Mekons and Freakwater made a record together a few years back that took forever to actually get released, and it's going to be released this summer called the Freakons, and it's a fun project. And so there's that, and we're playing some shows for that, and... You know, who knows about Freakwater? Freakwater is, I always sort of likened it to a game of tennis. You know, you can you can do it until you're 100. You just play, you play sort of uh, more thoughtfully and a lot slower. So yeah, right. I think we'll just do that in some fashion, whether we play live or not, I don't know. Okay. But we, we will continue to work together and... um yeah, and then you know when Rick's ready with his thirty songs on his phone, he can give me a call.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right, that sounds good, uh, Rick. If people want to learn more about Eleventh Dream Day and where they can pick up uh, this new record, where would you like to uh, direct them, so to speak?
2: Well, we have a link tree, um, which will send you to pretty much everything in our Instagram, uh, which is We Are Eleventh Dream Day. Okay and there's a little link tree in there that I'll send you to a variety of
3: places. Okay. Right. And the record since grazed is, is out now on comedy minus one and will be available for vinyl in, uh, or rather, uh, it is available for pre-order now on vinyl, but the vinyl will start uh, to circulate. What was it? The first week of August. Is that correct?
2: He's already sending them out. Yeah, so, there you go. Um, okay. He, he, I saw a picture of, uh, John boxing them up. So, uh, the physical copies are in hand and they will be headed out.
3: Okay. Excellent. For
2: any international listeners who are afraid of postage, um, it is being distributed by red eye. So, uh, in, uh, in Europe and, uh, imagine Canada. Um, yeah, it'll, be in, uh, uh r- record stores. Uh, and if it's not demand to see the district manager, uh-
3: <laughs> <laughs> carrying your way into the new yes. 11th dream day record. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, Okay, well, if there's a song that we can go out on from the record, I was wondering if, if you two, by consensus or dissent, can settle on one particular song that we can go out on. Now, Rick, you're very close to your, I, I want to argue potentially that you're the closest to these songs of the three of us here. So I'm actually going to start with Janet in terms of her choice, and then you can, you can defer or accept her recommendation. Is that fair for you, first of all, Rick?
2: I, I like this game.
3: Okay, great. <laughs> Janet, the pressure is on. What song would well, you like I, to hear?
4: I think Since Grazed the, the the title track is is super fun and it's a good song to run to and drive to and yeah, I, I'd say Since Grazed.
3: Okay. So this is the lead track. Uh Rick, what do you make of, of Janet's answer? <laughs>
2: Well I learned a long time ago that the best thing to do is to agree
3: with Janet <laughs> okay so we have a begrudging consensus uh, I believe is what that might be called all right this is the title track from the beautiful new album by 11th Dream day this is since grazed uh, Janet Rick this was a tremendous pleasure for me I hope you enjoyed yourselves and I wish you the best yeah, of luck in the you. future
4: thank you so much thank you,
3: Vish.
2: in the dunes Among rotting ruins The morning too soon At least there's a breeze But back on the street On much tougher feet The friends and elites Intensified the degree. So blessed I needed the rest I've lately regressed But the tones are unfazed The frequency hums Where are my old chums The scattered alums Not cut but since grazed
3: very special thanks again to janet and rick of 11th dream day for appearing on this the 626th episode of creative control which is part of the entertainment one podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcast it's on everything i think i don't know how you're listening to it now but if you don't like the thing you're listening to now and you want to switch it to uh, you know another thing i believe creative control is on that other thing too depending on what that other thing is but i'm pretty sure it's there If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it or if you want to learn more about me personally mostly professionally and sign up for my monthly newsletter please visit my website vishkana.com If you like you can like Creative Control on Facebook You can definitely follow the show via Twitter Uh, You can follow the show via Twitter at vishcreative or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt for your patronage, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Again, visit patreon.com slash creative control for more info. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, to to Jim Guthrie from Ontario, Canada, for letting me use the uh, instrumental version of his... So you hear that music right now behind me? That's, that's the instrumental version of The Rest Is Yet To Come. That's a song of Jim's. He lends me the song. He's got a lot of great songs. You can learn more about Jim and his work at jimguthrie.org. And he might help you. You might want to work with Jim. He'll do that sometimes. jimguthrie.org For more information about all those things. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode uh, featuring 11th Dream Day and I hope you'll listen to their new album Since Grazed. And if you liked our chat, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends to do the same. Listen to it. Maybe they'll subscribe to it and spread the word about the show so more people find out about it. That's all very kind and nice of you to do. That's all I have for now. Thank you very much again for listening to this episode. I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye for now.